we now have traveled from Egypt to Mount Sinai. It's just going to have a brief mention here. They encamped at the mountain of God. And the reason it's not a big deal here, because it's not focused on that at this time. But next week in chapter 19 is where they make the big important introduction about Mount Sinai and all that you want to know about Mount Sinai. So you got to realize, though, that from here to the rest of the book of Exodus, during the entire time of Leviticus, and all the way until Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, they are going to be remaining here at Mount Sinai. But finally, in Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, it says, And the cloud moved, and they started moving. Uh, and then the pillar of cloud, the fire by night, and they followed that until it stopped. Well, so we start in here tonight in chapter 18, verse 1, and Jethro. Now, earlier, he was also referred to as Ruel. Um, have a couple different names, different languages, depending. Uh, he was the priest of Midian. And... Uh, he was Moses' father-in-law. And he had heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zephora, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. Do you guys remember that in Exodus chapter 4? Uh, it was a wild and crazy story, but they're on their way, and, and uh, Moses had not circumcised his children. And reading between the lines in the story, nobody can say dogmatically, but it appears that his wife was not letting that custom, that Jewish custom, happen to her Midianite kids, or at least half Midianite kids. And, uh, and, but now Moses is going to do the work of God. And uh, God makes it clear back in Genesis 17 that if you were unwilling to get circumcised, you were cut out of being a part of the Hebrew nation. So it was no small thing. It was the sign in their flesh that they indeed were followers of God. And so what happened was, is Moses was there and he's getting pinned down and ready to be killed. Even though God was sent him to Egypt, this was a severe situation, and God let his heart on the matter be known. And Zephora quickly grabbed her two boys uh, and circumcised them with the flint stone, ouch, and, uh, and then took the foreskin and threw it at Moses. And, uh, and what ended up happening was uh, his wife and boys returned back to Midian and didn't continue on with Moses and all the great things God did in Egypt. So she's coming now with these two boys, her two sons, of whom the name of the one was Gershom. And he said, I have seen a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer. He said, the God of my father was my help and deliver me from the sword of the Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Now, uh, some try to say that this word also could mean brother-in-law, but uh, there's no reason in this text 
to think this would be his brother-in-law, especially as we see what happens and transpires. And uh, of course, you know, why would the brother-in-law be with the sister, I guess? It's the father-in-law. He came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped, here it is, at the mountain of God. We'll see it next week, Mount Sinai. And he and his said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. So he sent word ahead of time. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's pretty heavy when the in-laws just drop in, you know, knock at the door and, whoa, mom, dad, yeah, come in. Uh, well, I see you're not keeping your house clean. And, uh, you know, they pull out the white glove and start. Um, so he gives them a little heads up and, and says, you know, it's not just me. But uh, you've been separated now. At this point, they were in Egypt for almost a year, and now they've been on the road uh, for a while. So we're, we're probably getting close to a year. You guys have been separated, and uh, you need to get back together. So I'm bringing her along. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. This is a sign of respect again, and probably excitement to see them. And notice what he did. He bowed down, and then he kissed him. This was partly cultural, but this was definitely a sign of honor. And let's not forget, it's not like Moses is some young kid. He's well over 80 years old, probably closer to 81 years old at this time. So it's not like he, you know, he's going up to some guy um, who's much older than him, probably, but also it's, uh, he's a man of renown himself. He's the leader of uh, a nation of people. Um, he's a somebody as well. But yet, this is what's in his heart to do. And then they ask each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship, he didn't tell them just about the good parts, but all the hardship they had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them, how God met the need uh, every step along the way, whether it was needing food, meat, water, uh, the Malachite war situation they had, and of course the difficulty that Pharaoh had put on them in Egypt as well. We're going to see in a couple of weeks, Exodus chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments. So just so you can always remember the Ten Commandments are, it's in the middle of Exodus. There's 40 chapters in Exodus, and in the middle is chapter 20, and Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments, okay? You can fall asleep now. You, you, you memorize that, you're good for tonight, okay? But hopefully you don't fall asleep. But it does say there, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. So one of the big ten, one-tenth, <laughs> is to say, yeah, don't lie, don't bear false witness, don't you got name in vain, don't commit adultery, you know, we, we know the big ones, but often we forget this one that says, honor your father and mother. Well, once you become a teenager, you don't have to anymore, do you? 
well, once you get married and you're in your own house, you don't need to any longer, do you? There's, there's, there's no time in here, okay? He, he says, here's a commandment, and it's the only commandment with the promise that says God will bless you, he says here, going into the land. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, uh, it says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So in the New Testament, he, he says for all of you Jewish and Gentile believers, it's expanded way past just the promised land for the Jews in the promised land. But wherever you're at in the world to the New Testament believer, you live long. That, that, that term in, in, the, in the Jewish mind, in the ancient mind, was not length of days. It's a fullness of life. You'll have a full life on this earth if you're a person who right from the beginning of your life learns this principle to have honor, a word that is basically uh, no longer in our language anymore. I, I would say very few people if you ask them to define the word honor, uh, could even do it. But it is a, a significant word. It's an important word. And, and if we had honor, I think that heart of submission, the heart of commitment would be in our society. And I think that if the wife honored her husband and the husband honored her wife. I think if we would honor everyone in authority over us, as the Bible tells us to do, honor all men, honor the king, honor those. Don't speak against the dignitaries. Don't, don't speak rebelliously against the dignitaries. Uh, Paul says in Romans 13 to honor all authorities because they're from God. And of course, he was speaking of the Roman Empire that was killing Christians. And, and he still, you won't find Paul putting down Caesar or the mean army of Rome or all those pagan people that are worshiping the devil and they're a bunch of evil people and God's going to get them. He never says anything like that. And uh, it's important that there is that spirit of honor, that spirit of, of commitment. And of course, in the church today, why are Christians not growing as they should? And it really comes down to they don't honor God. They don't honor the church. They don't honor the leadership. They don't honor the, the authorities that God's given in the church for their own well-being. And so when I talk to a rebellious teenager who are telling me that their parents are the worst parents on the earth, so I guess all the worst parents I've already met, <laughs> it's none of you, and I, and I tell them, okay, you, you may have a harder job than the average person but it doesn't take you off the hook it doesn't leave you off the hook 
Because we're to honor our government even when they're not honorable. And we are to honor those in authority over us, whatever that may be, no matter what. It's, it's, it's upon us. It's not upon them. Honor everybody in authority who you deem to be honorable. And dishonor everybody in authority that you deem is dishonorable. That's not what the Bible says, is it? And it's a, it's a beautiful thing, Paul says, just to keep your mouth shut, live a, a peaceful and a quiet life, which is a powerful testimony to a, a wicked world. And um, again, um, I'm not saying that we can't voice our opinions. Uh, we're, we're supposed to have a free, be a free country to say what we want. But again, there, there's a line there where you honor those in authority. And I, I really believe that um, when I see a teenager who doesn't have honor for his parents, I, I tell them, you know, this, these, these are your training wheels <laughs> to show honor, to show submission. And, and I'm, I'm telling you what, if you don't get your heart right, God's going to give you teachers similar to your parents. And you're gonna start finding this common denominator and it's not the authorities in your life, it's your attitude toward authorities. Because now the teachers are a bunch of jerks and I got the worst teachers in the world. And I got a job and I got the most idiot boss in the world. And then I go into the military because I got fired from my job. And everybody in the military is a bunch of idiots, too. And then that idiot police officer pulled me over and had nothing on me, and I still got arrested. It's all the police officer's fault. And then I went to jail, and those jailers are a bunch of jerks. And then I went to prison, and those prison guards are a bunch of idiots. Y you are going to be forced. <laughs> In a very hard way, you're going to get between a rock and a hard place, and you will not win. <laughs> the Bible says, fall upon the rock and be broken, lest the rock falls upon you and grinds you to powder. Honor God. Honor every authority in your life. And it's not on them being more honorable. It's about your heart. It's about you having that heart of submission and respect. And you say, every authority God has given me, starting with my parents, till the day I die, Romans 13.1 says, they've all been given to me by God. And God is in charge of them. And so it says to the wife in in. Second Peter, uh, or First Peter chapter 3 there, it says, um, if your wife, if your husband's not obeying the word wives, it's not your job to try to take somebody in authority over you and, and get him to submit to what you want. But it says the wife without a word, by living an honorable life in meekness, and in quietness, 
that gentle and quiet spirit that's so precious in the eyes of God. God will bring him into place. And every husband that's not honoring his wife, God's shutting up heaven, not hearing one of his prayers. He is not going to have access to the power of God. So I'm going to humble him. I'll take care of him. And so just like we learned through the Bible, you can love your enemies and let God take care of them. Or you can fight your enemies and God will let you deal with it. And the same with those in authority over you. We need to say, whatever the formulas are out there, I am always going to have a humble and submitted heart. You know, I, I get asked from time to time by pastors and missionaries, do I need to tithe <laughs> now that I'm in the ministry? Because the tithes are what support me. And I'm like, look, I, I don't know about these things. I just know as for me, I will always be the giving guy. I, you know, I'm going to always tithe. If it's two pennies, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give above that of an offering. As far as us as a church, we're going to tithe as a church. Well, our church is supposed to tithe? I don't care. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to tithe and give above that of offerings. We're never in the, whatever that formula is, we're never going to be the one who says, ah, I'm exempt. There's just too many heart changes that happen in giving. And there's too many blessings from heaven in giving. And in the same way in showing honor to one another, especially those that God has allowed to whatever degree, maybe a tiny little degree, to be in authority over you. In that formula, whatever it is, I'm going to honor all people whether I think they're equal with me or not. The Bible says in Philippians 2, see every person as better than yourself. Put everybody's interest before your own. So in reality, Jesus came not to be served by men, but be the servants of all men, to be the lowliest of servants. And he honored everybody that will ever live on this earth by saying, Father, forgive them. They know what to do. Everybody. He came. And he's washing the sins, the dirty, sinful, wicked feet of every single person if they're willing to come. There's nothing too lowly for Jesus that he didn't willing to do. And this is what we see in the heart of Moses here. He is just saying, you know, whatever the equation is, even if I'm the emperor, there's a way I can honor. I'm going to do it. Jesus is our great example of this. At 12 years old, as he was growing, the Bible says, in spirit, in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, it says he was growing in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And the time he reached 12 years old, when they would go up to Jerusalem for the time of the Passover and Pentecost and all of that, when he would go up, he decided that it was time for him to enter the ministry. And we see throughout the Bible that there are instances like that. I think of little Samuel, you know, he was a little tiny guy hearing God's voice and being used by God. And of course, I think of David, a little boy being mightily used by God. And then 
being used by God as a, a worship leader for Saul to stop the demon spirits from attacking him. And so uh, as they're heading back in the caravan, heading back to Nazareth, he, they assume he's hanging out with one of the cousins and they finally realize, hold it. <laughs> We've not seen him for three days. And uh, we got to go back and find him. And they're looking all over Jerusalem. They can't find him. They can't find him. Of course, this is a time where millions of people would come to fill Jerusalem. And finally, uh, they found him in the temple talking to the, the biblical scholars. And they were amazed at Jesus's answers and his understanding. He was ready for the ministry. But his mother and father said, We've been anxious looking for you for everywhere. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And in Luke 2, 51, um, it says, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was what? Subject, submitted, yielded, honoring to them. And his mother just kept all these things in her heart as she did from the day before he was born. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and the favor with God and men. And it wasn't until he was 30 years old at the age in, in Israel where you would be able to now uh, be seen as a, an adult uh, in a sense of being able to have a, a public ministry. In the Gospel of John chapter 2, Jesus has now left home. He's on his own. And he's... he's uh, going down to a wedding of, a, of some kind of person that he knows and family member maybe and his mother, his brothers, they're all sisters, they're all going to be there. And uh, they run out of wine. And his mother comes up to Jesus and says, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now the word woman there is a term of endearment, but he doesn't say mother. He's like, dear lady, what concern is that with me? My hour has not yet come. N no. Politely, gently, lovingly, mother, no. And what does she say? She said to the servants, whatever he says, do it. <laughs> she knew, you know, they had differences at times, and he, he let her know the differences they had. But she knew. He would honor her even at this time, even if he was in total disagreement. And thus, Jesus' very first miracle was honoring his mother in making wine for a wedding because they ran out. Romans 13.1, I mentioned this a minute ago. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, including parents, and authorities that exist are appointed by God. Well, heading back to Exodus 18 now, in verse 9. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good things which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the, notice here, all capital letters, L-O-R-D. When you see that, that's the tetragrammaton. We transliterated Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H, uh, Yah or Yahweh. It's the holy name of God 
who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of Egyptians. Now I know that the what? Lord is greater than all the gods. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. So immediately he is worshiping the Lord God of Israel, bringing the consecration offerings and uh, bringing them to God in dedication, the dedication offering and dedication to the Lord. And, uh, and in this dedication offering, um, you eat part of it. It's not all burnt. It, it's, not the, it's, it's a part of the consecration where they can partake of it. And so Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses. So the extended family came uh, with the father-in-law. Where? Before God. So Jethro becomes a believer. What a beautiful thing. Now remember, he was a priest of Midian. You say, well, he wasn't a priest of the right religion. No, but let's not forget. Adam and Eve and their kids spread throughout the world. And uh, that knowledge goes back. Now it's tainted because our hearts <laughs> that are desperately deceitfully evil want to make idols. We want to make idols out of anything and everything. And it's just our nature. We always have to keep dashing down idols. I think it's always interesting that in 1 John, his letter to the church, his last sentence is, and keep yourself from idols. It's like, what? Where did that come from? Yeah, I, I know you. I know me. <laughs> we, we can make everything and turn it into an idol. And so I think Christians can make a mistake in talking about other religions, saying, well, their religion is a total pagan religion. 85% of all religions are the same. Okay? So you go to whatever religion it is, they're against adultery, they're against lying, they're against stealing. They're trying to be honest and honorable. They, they, their God wants them to be ethical and moral and hardworking. Um, they want parents to love their children. They want commitment and marriage. And so somebody might say, and I've had this happen. Man, I, I was a part of this marriage conference. And it wasn't until the last day I, I realized that the couple speaking were Mormons. But I'm telling you, the whole thing was just awesome. Yeah, I, I, I think Mormons' view of marriage is pretty identical to ours. I, I'm not surprised about that at all. So, again, I, I would say, you know, don't choose a Mormon conference to go to next time. <laughs> but I've had people say, I didn't want you to know where I was last weekend, Brian, but when I was a part of the Catholic Church, you know, I went to this, me and my wife went to this 
marriage conference that the Catholic Church puts on every year, and they bring the best speakers in, and we just love it, and it's a beautiful location, and blah, blah, and all our friends are there, and our family, and it's just a great, fun weekend, and we didn't want, you know, we're not Catholics anymore. We haven't been Catholics in a decade, but just to let you know, we, we you know, went there. I hope you don't kick me out of the church. <laughs> you, you know, priests, Catholic priests run into the same marriage issues that we run into in counseling people, right? And I'm sure that a good marriage counselor who's Catholic would give very good counsel on marriage, okay? So um, I, I think, I think we've got to be careful overstating the argument. So probably Jethro had many things right. Matter of fact, he might have had almost all the things right if he, was a, if he had one God who is the creator of all, right? But remember... In the early church, they had one of their most powerful speakers, Apollos, who was getting some serious doctrine wrong. And Aquila and Priscilla came along and said, Apollos, we'd like to talk to you. Come on over here. You're a wonderful speaker and you're preaching Christ and him crucified. But we, we need to spend some time discipling you here. And um, I, I think all of us have room to have loose conversations, right? I mean, I've, I've said things and, and people have said, you know, that wasn't quite right. And let me tell you why. And I have to just say, you're right. I'll try to correct that next time or even next week, I'll try to correct that up front. So being corrected, and especially if you speak, what's the proverb say? In many words is also much sinning, you know? And as a pastor, what do we mainly do? A lot of words. And so pray for us. But we see that Jethro's became a believer and immediately we find that, that much of what he knows about God is, is very wise. Notice in verse 13 now. And so it was next day that Moses set to judge the people and the people stood before Moses from the morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what this thing that you are doing for the people, why are you alone? Why do you alone sit? In other words, be a judge. And all the people stand before you from the morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So... This is our practice, you know. At first, the line was sort of short, you know. But then, uh, you know, people started having difficulties. And, and uh, there, there were a bunch of slaves a few days ago. I mean, these are illiterate people that they made sure they could never be leaders. And so it's sort of fallen all on me. But now the line is stretched, you know. Those people out there, I probably won't get to them for at least a year. Um, <laughs> And so here some guy says, I loaned this guy my shovel and he broke it and uh, he should buy me a new shovel handle. And it's like, eh, okay, did you borrow a shovel? Yeah, okay, get, get, buy, get him a new handle, would you? Okay, next piece, you know. Um, and in verse 17, so Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Isn't it great to have family around? 
you go to the family reunion or go to the holidays and it's like, ah, remember Brian, you're five years old and you wet the bed, ah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that was embarrassing, yeah. Thank you. And then your kids are teasing you about it on the way home and it's, uh, they can remind you of all the stupid things you said and did and, and, uh, and, and they have no problem letting you know. It's like, is that a new shirt? Yeah, that looks stupid on you. That's a bad color, yeah. And you go, that's not gonna phase me, but you seem to never wear that shirt again. Because it's your choice. You didn't wear it because not what they said, right? So, hey, good to have you back, Dad. Well, both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourself out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people that you may bring these difficulties to God. And you, Moses, this top spiritual leader, shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and work uh, they must do. So, and then there's one more thing that he says that it should be in, in Moses' job description. And it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you or every important matter or every uh, difficult matter, uh, the big stuff they can bring to you. So he, he basically says back in, in verse um, 14, he says, why are you doing this alone? And then he says, this is not good for you and it's not good for the people. Now, at this point, I, I'm sure that God was just supernaturally empowering everybody. You know, later we're going to learn that people's clothing never wore out. They never got sick through all those years in the wilderness. Um, and although all they ate was manna, you know, they didn't get sick from just the one food type. There was a lot of supernatural stuff. And I'm sure that Moses had a lot of supernatural strength going on up to this point. But he's now observing going, this, this is broken. This, does, this isn't going to work. This isn't how you're to spend your entire day. And this isn't the way they're to spend their entire day. Um, and uh, I'm just looking at this and, and just seeing that you need to make a change here. And really, I mean, I am a priest myself. I'm a spiritual leader. And, and even though I was a spiritual leader of a cult, um, leadership um, skills are the same. Whatever you're applying those leadership skills to, um, I, I don't think they change. I think they're, they're from God. And they apply to all kinds of scenarios. And so... I, I, it seems to me that God would have you, number one, stand before the people. In other words, be in prayer for the people. Stand before the people, before God, for the people. Secondly, verse 20, that was verse 19. Verse 20, secondly, teach. You need to, you need to focus after praying to God for the people and asking wisdom how to be a, the leader that God wants you to be. Secondly, you need to teach. You need to spend your time teaching the whole congregation. Thirdly, you need to spend your time raising up 
new leaders. You need to start discipling these guys that are to be judges so they know the law as well as you do. And they have the same heart in judging matters as you would have as you were there. And then the fourth thing we find in verse 22 that um, you're available for uh, the most important decisions that would affect the entire nation. A situation comes up and you realize um, this situation is going to come up a lot. We need to make it a, a, a law for everybody that'll come to you, not just ruling the situation for this one couple or this one family or this one situation, but actually we need to make a law. So when this thing does come up, which is going to come up regularly, there's a law in place for everybody. And so you got to realize that it was put upon Moses, not just to be the civil leader or the spiritual leader, but also to be the civil leader. He was both. And this is why when people, you see TV shows and movies, they quote the Bible and make it look stupid. They're almost always quoting the part that's referring to the civil laws that God gave to the Jewish people. And many of those civil laws, and we're going to get there in Leviticus, many of those civil laws were only for a season. They didn't apply later on. Matter of fact, they were changed. And then, of course, they were never meant to be applied in the New Testament. And, uh, and so, you know, you had laws, for example, where, you know, if you pooped in the wilderness, you bury it. I don't think they were going out and digging holes in the city of Jerusalem and, uh, you know, well, God said we're to bury it. You know, what to go dig a hole and, build, you know, shovel. And it's like, no, they, they didn't use that anymore. Okay. That wasn't applicable. But again, um, when you try to take all the, the unique situations they had being uh, idol worshiping slaves in Egypt and bringing them and having to live in the wilderness for over 40 years, which created a whole nother uh, situation there. And then later they would come into the land. They had judges and then they had prophets and then they had kings. And so the civil government changed a lot in that time in how it was applied. And of course, new laws were created under the judge and new laws under the prophets, new laws under the kings and, and other ones were discounted because they no longer applied. And that's how God built that. But then there are spiritual principles that are woven throughout that do apply to our life. And, and the natural mind can't understand it, but the spiritual mind can get it. And, uh, and, then some, and that's usually in the New Testament. We can just read through the New Testament and get it. Uh, it'll be spoken to us there about. Well, um, so in verse 21, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, number one, such men as, number two, fear God, number three, men of truth, and number four, hating covetousness. So you need to get some guys that have a notable set character. And uh, these are guys that you're going to put your time into. They're able. They're, they're guys that seem to be born into this world to be leaders, you know. Uh, raising four kids, I, I saw that pretty clearly, you know. My, my son Tracy, you know, he, he never 
did anything without getting a group of people. It's like, oh, I think I'll go play basketball. 20 minutes later, there's 20 people there and they got, you know, the thing set up and they're doing, you know, the competitions and teams are broken up and, you know, who's going to win the championship, you know, before four o'clock. Um, just, he could never turn it off. You know, he turned it on as a little kid and uh, never turned it off. And it was our job to try to, you know, get him to understand when it applies and when it didn't apply. And, uh, <laughs> And often as a child, it didn't apply, especially when he was trying to lead his parents. But uh, it's these guys that are these just sort of, you can tell they're leaders and God's made them that and raising them up. But then there are people that do have, uh, they seem to have been touched in a unique, special way where they really do have an awe, a respect for God and his laws. God, some touched their hearts in a way that's gonna be an example to others. And uh, there are people that tell the truth. You know, I think most people are born into this world uh, messed up by our sin nature to be liars. And we have to be forced to, to, and, and trained to tell the truth, you know. Um, you know, I think every little kid cheated on his homework or cheated on a test and got caught, you know. Um, but then eventually they, they're, they're, there's some people that just new way, no how. I'm, I'm going to be a, a person of truth. And then hating covetousness. Um, again, being in a place of authority and power, you'll have a chance to make rules or make a side in on a case that benefits you. Oh, well, that guy's my next door neighbor and uh, I owe him 40 bucks. And if I rule in his favor, I bet I don't owe him 40 bucks anymore. They can't, they can't be that kind of people that can be moved by greed. Well, in Acts chapter 6, they had a similar situation where the Hellenistic Jewish women, that, that's Jews that came from Gentile cultures and acted like Gentiles, but they would come to Jerusalem. And then you had the Jewish women who acted Jewish uh, and spoke Hebrew. The Hellenistic probably didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke the language from they came from. When... Um, all of these widows who had no means of support, who had been cared for by the Jewish system, they lived in the temple, slept in the temple, cleaned and worked in the temple, and they took care of them. Well, when they became Christians, the Jews excommunicated them, and all of a sudden they had thousands of widows that needed to be taken care of as a brand new church. So people were donating, and they were giving them out uh, food every day, and, and Jesus' apostles, of course, learning from Jesus, you do the lowliest job. You wash the feet. You take care of the people. Jesus broke the bread for 5,000 men plus women and children from a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. Can you imagine that many rippings? Jesus did it. And so, hey, we need to be servants. But it got to the point where the Hellenistic ladies felt they were getting shortchanged because... They weren't Jewish, Jewish type women, uh, which wasn't the case. It just probably a communication breakdown there, but that's the way they felt. And the disciples said in Acts chapter six, um, you know what? It's not good that we leave the word of God uh, and serve tables. And he said, we need to give ourselves to the word of God and prayer. And so get uh, seven guys who are good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, 
and of wisdom. And then we see um, the guys they picked, Stephen was a man full of faith as well and the Holy Spirit. So full of a good reputation, um, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith. And uh, they also happen to be Hellenistic guys themselves. So they would be able to, to squash that um, language barrier and cultural barrier. And, uh, and they laid hands on them and prayed for them. And uh, then they distributed the food to the needy. And so we see very much probably them coming to the same place going, hey, you know what our situation reminds me of? Similarly, what Moses went through. And remember the wisdom of Jethro and what he said Moses ought to do. I think that's what we ought to do right now. Of course, there's many other qualifications for a New Testament leader found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I left those in your notes for you to look on for yourself. But he says in verse 21, the second part of verse 21, I should say, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. So you're going to have guys with a different sphere, guys who have a different ability. And you're going to see them get raised up until uh, you got some guys that, that can handle uh, greater authority than other guys. But they're all equally important. There's always that famous saying, right? It, it, it's better to have a hundred men doing the job that takes a hundred men than for one man to do the work of a hundred men, right? I mean, that's just common knowledge. And so he goes on to say in verse 22, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they will bring to you and every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it shall be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. There it is. And so it says in Ephesians 4 that in the New Testament, God's done this. He himself gave as a gift to the church. In Ephesians 4.11, he, he raised up apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and uh, for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, a matured believer, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we uh, keep being matured until we're walking even as Jesus is walking. So raise these guys up. Identify that these guys are a gift from God for you. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, it says there in verse 13, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake and be at peace among yourself. So have that heart to recognize that God's raised up some over 10, some over 100, some over thousands for you to be brought into maturity as a believer. And uh, you, you do have those uh, people that, that are young in the faith who don't understand this, who will say, you know, I got to have Pastor Brian pray for me. You know, um, I need Brian to counsel me and my wife. You know, I need Brian to go and, uh, you know, anoint my house with oil and pray for it and cast the demons out or whatever. Um, and uh, and we, we then have to educate them and say, you know what, we got several pastors on staff, and beyond that, we have leaders in the church, uh, spiritual leaders, 
uh, elders, and then we have guys that are leaders that are over physical things, but they're still men full of faith and, and the Holy Spirit and can pray for you. And, and so uh, to, to help them understand how it needs to be spread out. And it's a conversation I have quite often with pastors, young pastors sometimes, and or, or pastors that are new that are over uh, smaller churches where, you know, a guy's like, you know, hey, pastor, you know, I'm moving this week. Uh, what are you doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Uh, you know, you don't have anything going until next Sunday. So, um, <laughs> or, you know, they give him a call. Hey, my, uh, my pipe at my house is leaking. Can you run over there and, and uh, put a new pipe on there? My wife's waiting for you. Um, and, uh, and so the pastor becomes, uh, you know, I, I tell him, don't buy a truck. You're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you, you know what? It, it, you can't you can't do that i mean there are people that are you're you're closer to and you're doing it more out of a friendship rather than because you're their pastor but uh no it, it's it's not a good idea to go down that track well in hebrews thirteen seven, remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of god to you whose faith follow but considering the outcome of their conduct so he he and he sort of in a back door says not everybody in spiritual leadership are matured in Christ in every area of their life. You know, I, I, I think we all, as we become a Christian, we have just a number of issues. You know, knowledge of the word, faith, honesty, holiness, righteousness, being gentle, uh, not having a hot temper, all these things. And, and God's maturing us all. But there's there always is some area that God hasn't quite got to yet. And so you have a guy that's been 10 years in the Lord, but then he's got one thing, you know, that you'd think, man, by 10 years in the Lord, he'd have that covered by now. No, God's been concentrating on other areas of his life. And in that area, you may, even though you're only a year in the Lord, you may be more mature in that area than he is. You may have a greater marriage a better marriage, or you may be a better parent, or you may be able to run your finances in a better way than this guy who's been a Christian uh, for many years longer than you. God's still working on him and perfecting him. And so it's not, well, you can't be my spiritual leader anymore because, uh, you know, I saw you uh, run that red light the other day. It was yellow. No, it was red. Uh, don't, don't lie to me, pastor. Uh, you know, Obviously, you're not submitted to the authorities over you. And so, uh, you know, consider my conduct, but shut up and listen to the Bible study anyway. <laughs> and, uh, of course, in the New Testament, it, it, it makes it clear not everybody's a leader, but all of us are ministers. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Moses was, wasn't he? I can do it. I can do it all. And uh, sure, with the best of attitudes, but no, don't think more highly than yourself than you ought to think. You can't do it all. But to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in one body. All the members to do have the same function. All the members do not have the same function. So, 
We being many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. A prophecy, let us prophesy in the portion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it to, in our ministry. And he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 11, it says there that, uh, in verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to how many? Each one of us for the profit of all. And then he goes through a list of those. And he ends in verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all things distributing to each one, individually, uniquely, as he wills. We all have spiritual gifts, whether those are the gifts of helps or administrations, or whether that's a gift of prophecy and faith. And, uh, and of course, as it goes on, it says, um, we can't all be the body. Because if the whole body were a foot, then where would the eye be? <laughs> if the whole body is a hand, then, then where would the hearing be? No, the, the hand can't say, I have no need of you because all this body needs is a hand. No, we gotta have an eye to see. We have to have an ear to hear. Right? And so we all need each other. Together, we make up the body. And so this is such an important point that we get that all of us have a ministry to carry the burden, right? In Ephesians 4, going, finishing up down there, you remember in verse 11 and 12, it says, God's given to the church apostles, prophets, pastors, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. But then he says in verse 16, eventually it's going to get to the point where the whole body joined, knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Everybody's giving, everybody's praying, everybody's serving, everybody has a heart to see people come to Christ and evangelize. All of us are doing the work of an evangelist. All of us are seeking God and, and, and some way discipling somebody else. You see, we're all ministers. Everybody doing his part causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. How does it work? Not one person or even 10 people are to be burdened. A healthy church, people have, our hearts are stirred to say, I want more. And, and they get to the point, and I hope you're there, where you say, I'm not satisfied, not serving. And then give, and it's given back into you. I used to go, I used to preach two sermons Sunday morning. I'd run out and preach two services at Donovan Prison. Then I'd get back just in time to preach Sunday night. My wife would pack me two meals, uh, lunch and dinner, and I'd eat them in the car going back and forth. And then I went out Monday from nine in the morning till nine at night to Donovan Prison and had a group of guys that I discipled to be pastors, and some of them are actually now. But it didn't take anything from me. I would have energy galore. At Sunday nights, I felt awesome. Mondays, I get up feeling great. Monday night, I felt, it did not take away. It did not tire me out. It didn't, 
And the guys would be going, oh, Brian, I'm so sorry you had to drive all the way out here. And, you know, you're taking all this time away from your church and your family. And, and, and I would tell them, I'm giving, but I am getting a hundred times more. And, uh, and I learned a lot from those guys about faith and hope and ministry and ministering to people. And, and, uh, and it was funny because the, uh, the Mondays I didn't go out there for whatever reason, I'd wake up exhausted. And, uh, and I'm like, man, I have to go to the prison today, but the next week I, gr- I feel great, you know. So God gives grace. He gives grace. And we minister by that grace. And, uh, and this is how it works. And finishing up here in verse 23 of Exodus 18. If you do these things, now he gives them an out. God so commands you. You're not in disobedience to me. I'm not saying thus saith the person in authority over you must do what I say no matter what you feel led to do. But, you know, I, I want you to confirm this with God. That you will be able to endure and all this people with you and also they'll be at peace. They'll be at a place at peace. So you're going to find yourself not wearing down even though God's given you a season of supernatural strength. Eventually you got to be human. And, and uh, the people too. God's given grace up to this point. It's worked out okay. But this is not a good system for the long term. In 1 Thessalonians 5.15, it says, Pursue what is good for both yourself and for all. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19.21, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. Test all things. Hold fast to what's good. So, you know, Moses could have said, Well, Dad, you've been a Christian now one day. (laughs) Or you've been a believer, I should say, for one day. And, uh... Has anybody talked to you from a burning bush, by the way? I have. Uh, Any miracles through your rod at all? I mean, he could have easily had an attitude, huh? And he could have just said, you know, I I don't need your secular uh, Midianite priesthood wisdom here. But but he he didn't despise it. He's like, hey, this is a person who I need to have a respect for their authority in my life and I'm going to take it to God and I'll come back respectfully saying, Jethro, I know that's good wisdom in most cases, but God told me otherwise. But, but I'm going to, I think his heart was, I'm going to do this unless God says no. Later in the book of Acts, they had a, a situation where they, they finally just said it seemed good to them and the Holy Spirit to do this thing. It wasn't like the Lord spoke it. It was sort of like it seemed like good wisdom and we, it didn't, we didn't feel a grief or a quenching of the Spirit. Well, Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses was able uh, chose able men of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers over thousands, rulers over hundreds, rulers over fifties, rulers over tens. So they judged the people at all times. Hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own land. I, I just want to come back to this point that Moses didn't minimize Jethro. As we looked in Ephesians 6, 23 
or 6, verse 2 and 3, Ephesians 6, verse 2 and 3, honor your father and mother, which is the what? First commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. I want to make a note here. It's not the first commandment. It's the fifth commandment. When you go and look at Exodus chapter 20, it's the fifth commandment. But Paul says, for the New Testament believer, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. You know what? That, that, we're not under the law anymore. The, the law was made for us to see we're sinners. But the only real Ten Commandment law that we can apply that's now the first and the most important one for the New Testament believer out of the Ten Commandments, the first one is to honor your father and mother. Interesting, isn't it? In 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. The older I get, the more I like that. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another. Just it, We all should have that attitude. Be clothed with humility. What are you wearing today? Humility. <laughs> like, those, like those shoes, hum humility shoes. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. That's the key. Find a way to be humble. Find a way to be submissive. Find a way to be yielded. Find a way to put yourself under authority. God can then work with that. And now in that place of a humble, yielded, submitted heart that's honoring all men, honoring those in authority, he can now lift you up. Interesting that later it's said of Moses in Numbers 12, 3, Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. And that was true, even though Moses wrote it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that he wrestled with the Holy Spirit on that one, but uh, it was a fact. Well, Lord, thank you again for your word tonight. And thank you for washing us in the water of the word. And, and Lord, heal our country with this attitude. This honor is not even a word that people know anymore. Heal our church, Lord. Heal the church throughout the world to have that heart where they just are clothed with humility, submitting one to another, realizing that's the heart that God wants to see in every believer, that he can lift him up and use him in a mightier and mightier way. And thank you for this wonderful teaching that applies to us so deeply in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.